The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to The Waiting Room, a Quantum Leap podcast, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always is the magical Mr. Benny Mac. How are you, sir? I'm okay, you caught me mid-yawn there, so yeah, but I'm, I'm alright. You're not boring <laughs> me already. I was try- I turned my mic down and everything then to try and hide it, and you went straight to me quicker than usual. I was like, oh, alright, I'm okay. So, I like yeah. to keep you on your toes, mate, that's all. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, you came on the call and yawned at me. And you've somehow spread it via the internet to me. So I don't even know how you did that. But well done. Uh, there <laughs> we doing go. Well, mate. Magic, mate. It's magic. <laughs> Benny Mac. I don't, I don't think that's going to take off, to be honest. But there we oh, go. We'll, I'll make it work, mate. I can get anything over. <laughs> um, <laughs> on SJP store. There we go. That, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I am making cheesy, magical puns because this episode of The Waiting Room is looking at the great Spontini the episode of Quantum Leap that is set on May the 9th, 1974. And Sam has leapt into, well, as we discussed last time on uh, The Waiting Room, Sam has leapt into a a box with lots of swords getting stuck in it. And then the Sword of Death, I think, is mentioned. And he panics a little bit. Or Sword of Doom, I think, is mentioned. Uh, he panics a little bit. The box falls apart. And that's kind of where the um, last week's cliffhanger ended i guess um we get our normal intro and we see the magic show continuing sam is on stage with a young girl who is acting as his assistant and is bundling his way through the magic show with rabbits falling out of his trousers and uh, pigeons and doves coming out of his jacket and all sorts of shenanigans going on there when was the last time you saw this particular episode, Benny? Because I'll be honest with you, this is one that if I go think to myself, I want to watch a bit of Quantum Leap, this is one that normally I would not automatically go to or I would potentially skip. Pretty much the same. In terms of when I last watched it, obviously we started this project a couple of years ago. So at that point when we started season one, it probably been a couple of years since I actually watched it all the way through. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, and again, like you just said, um, and I was something I was going to bring up a bit later anyway, but it's one of the ones where I'd be like, now nah, I'll go to the, I'll, I'll go to the next available one that I, you know, just by looking at them as we've done when we go through the seasons and stuff, we go, Oh, we're looking forward to this, this and this or whatever. This isn't necessarily one of them to be fair, as you've already mm. said. Um, I mean, I'm kind of forecasting a little bit. Um, I think maybe it's cause I'm older and I have kids and, my whole perspective on this episode is very much different from what I, even though it's been a long time since I've watched it, it's my perspective has changed a bit. I think what I initially, as a younger man watching this when I was like in my teens into my, you know, into my early, like like when I was hitting like what, 16, 17 or whatever. And I'd still watch them. This is one I used to skip. Whereas now I'm actually, I think it's actually up there for me to be honest. (laughs) So wow, interesting. Okay. I'm going to be very curious then to uh, hear your, your summary and uh, end of show, I suppose, uh, score out of five that we normally give. Um, I normally, I'm of the same boat. This is not one by title or by memory or by, I suppose the term is thumbnail. Is it little pictures that you get sometimes online and so on? Um, it's not one that I would press play based upon those. Rewatching it for the podcast, I've got mixed thoughts on this. There's uh, certain aspects of it that I remember much fondly now than I did before I pressed play today. There's also certain aspects of it that I didn't remember that I look at and think, mm, ain't sure about that. But we'll, we'll get into that as, as we sort of rumble on through, yeah. I suppose. The, the basic premise of this episode is... Sam has leapt into a guy called Harry, Harry Spontini. He is a magician who is, uh, I suppose, a touring uh, uh, magician who is going from 
dingy little nightclub to dingy little nightclub putting on his show trying to raise enough money for this dream of buying a magic shop which will then be his business he has a 12 year old daughter of the name jamie and she is in his sole custody at the moment because the mum maggie ran off about three years ago the opening scene i suppose where we actually get some proper dialogue we have all the main players in in a very small room straight away, which I think is quite clever in in from a writing aspect in regards of a show like Quantum Leap, because barring Sam and Al, the rest of the cast changes every single episode. So by getting it's, it's a relatively small cast for this particular story, but by getting them all in the same room together straight off the bat and using each other's names over and over and over again virtually within the first five minutes of, of pressing play, I was familiar with who everybody was. I think that's quite a clever little ploy there, Benny, don't you? Yeah, you, you introduce, the thing is, the what's going on in the story as well, we, we have obviously leapt in, no pun intended. Hey. We are literally, <laughs> uh, maybe it was intended, I don't know. Depends on people have laughed. If you laughed at it, it was intended. If you didn't laugh at it, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a case of, um, yeah, setting everything up because there's a lot of information here. Jamie's mum has disappeared for three years. Uh, Harry's been raising her for this three years. And then obviously now she's doing the magic stuff with him. And then mm-hmm. having this, this lawyer type character, even though in that opening scene, um, he comes across kind of like, he seems like he's got the best interest for everybody at heart. You can kind of feel like, but have you though? And then it's very clearly later on, um, <laughs> not even like that, not, not long, much long after this, is it really? That he's not got the best interests. He's very much, um, he's a lawyer. And I don't know if there's a natural distrust of lawyers. I don't know, but it's just, uh, well, he, he's a scumbag. Let's call him what he is. He, yeah. he, he's, he's a slimy dirtbag, isn't he? And you're right. He comes in, and, and obviously the show has been a little bit of a disaster that we see at the beginning of the episode because Sam doesn't know what he's doing. And, and the 12 year old guides what she thinks is her father through through the show, which is, you know, quite, quite a nice little touch as well. To be honest with it, with the rabbits coming out and but the, yeah. the, the dove flying up by his chest. And just, I mean, if they'd have, I mean, I wonder how many takes it actually took for that dove to stay by his chest because he was trying to walk off the stage with that dove flying at him, <laughs> but going backwards. <laughs> I, I find yes. It, I'm not going to lie. I was like, do you know what? If it, I saw that, you know, magicians are a magician, but like, I, I would have laughed my ass off at that, to be honest with yeah. you. So he seemed to win the crowd over, despite the fact that he didn't know what the hell he was doing. Well, there you go. Uh, and the slimy guy, the slimy lawyer, whose name is Steve, I believe, uh, he says, oh, I really enjoyed your act, which is a blatant lie, because... It, it was a bit of a mess at the end, and we know that this guy is a scumbag. But at the moment, at that moment in time, I agree with you, Benny. You kind of think, okay, it, he seems slightly more genuine than he ends up uh, ends up being. We meet Maggie here as well, and she has ran out on the family three years ago. Um, Al, her by this point, has arrived and talked to Sam about her, his partner Tina being away for two weeks. And by God, he's got his needs, Sam. He's got his needs. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't even sugarcoat it this time. It's been because to be fair, the last episode we didn't have any of that from Al. Whereas mm. it, this, this starts, and as soon as Al appears, he's already moaning about the fact that he um, that he uh, yeah, it needs his needs, as you said. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, I do like the scene. Uh, I know we're not all getting, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but this is the, uh, le- wow. This is the reveal of the uh, Tetris-like hand link. But, yes. of course, but it isn't because the way they've aired the episodes, I think they've, this must have been tried to be before, but they've aired them ro- the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. So, because Al actually beats the crap out of the uh, hand links, it's not working properly. Then he reappears later with a, with the Tetris one. So, um, it's only a little, I, to be honest, I had to watch it back because somebody suggested, said, has he changed his hand link? I went, oh, yeah. It didn't actually because I'm so used to the Tetris one anyway as a fan. I I forget about the the standard sort of one he had to begin with. If that makes sense, I, my mind always goes to the Tetris like looking bright coloured one every single time when he say like Quantum Leap to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the one that he has originally uh, is almost like a sort of it almost looks like a calculator, doesn't it? In a way, it's a lot more strips yeah. down, less colourful, and so on. Um, the first time we saw, we saw as as viewers doing this watchback, we saw the the new flashy Lego handling because it sometimes is referred to online. We saw that. I think the original time we saw it, 
on screen was the Halloween episode that we covered. I believe, yeah. I believe it was the Boogeyman. And then yeah. I think it was in the episode after as well. Yes. As well as... But this is, you're right, this is where it makes its debut. And they change up the handling for the new design, which apparently the creators of the show were much happier with and, and so on. And you're right, it was it was filmed in a certain order. This is when the, um, the handling swap over happened. But then the order of the shows were chopped and changed and swapped about and not aired in the order they were filmed. So the new Handlinks debut um, happens after it's already been on screen, which is yeah. a bit backwards, isn't it? <laughs> well, the whole show is essentially him hopping around in time. So, you know, he's he's gone from 1964 to 1958 to 1965 and then 1974. So, you know, if you were to put it in chronological order, <laughs> it probably still wouldn't work. But still, it's still, I, my, <laughs> my mind goes straight to that. And well, just while we're on the subject of off the story for a moment, Dan Birchew is the reflection of Sam. Yes. Does, like straight away, doesn't he look like a magician? That's what I imagine a magician looks like <laughs> to a degree. Maybe it's just me, and especially when he does the hand thing as well in the mirror, which made me laugh. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder what else he's done. And we are kind of back to where we were before um, from um, from last week's episode, where the last time's episode, where the actor actually went on to do a lot of things. Dan Birch was a technical advisor on Quantum Leap, apparently, and he has done one uh, one other thing according to IMDb, and he was in Columbo Goes to the Guillotine. And okay. he was broadening his, broadening his acting skill here. He was a magician at the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Very typecast is this young man. Well, yeah. Well, he did actually <laughs> did the Colombo thing in 1989. Then he did Quantum Leap in 1990. So, but either way, oh, okay. <laughs> he's still a magician, which I, yeah, as I said, he looked like a magician. So I guess that's, that was his, uh, unless he's done theatre or something, I don't know. But on IMDb, according to that, that's all he's done. So fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we find out Steve is engaged to Maggie and is also her attorney. And Maggie is saying she wants a divorce. That is why she is there. And they are going to go to family court tomorrow or county court, sorry, tomorrow to just finalize the divorce and, and sign a few bits of paperwork and so on. Uh, and, and that's that. Now, we've also been given some additional information during this these opening few scenes that there is a TV show coming up on Thursday. Uh, Jamie, the daughter, mentions, and they have a trick they're going to put on uh, soon called the Table of Death, which they hope will get them on the TV show. They can win lots and lots of money, and that will be their down payment or, or I suppose, their deposit on the magic shop, which will give them a stable house and a stable you know, a place to live and a stable income and so on. Um, the TV show is pretty much never mentioned again. But the Table of Death and the Magic Shop are two pretty important parts of this, uh, this this particular story. So it's interesting how they're kind of almost dropped into the conversation early on. It's not a throwaway comment because it is very much put in there for us to notice. But th those those terms, Magic Shop, Table of Death, are in our minds within the first few minutes of the show. Yes, yeah. And I, again, I think that's quite cleverly done. Yeah, the ultimate goal of what uh, you know, what um, the Spontinis want to achieve in terms of the Harry and you know the daughter. I can't remember the daughter's name. That's bad. I just literally looked at it as well. Uh, Jamie, sorry. Jamie, yes. Um, so it's yeah, that's that. That's the goal. That's the dream. Um, and there we go. I will feel like again now. I don't know whether it's because I was remembering the episode, but the uh, the lawyer boyfriend, um, Steve. I don't know why, what it is about the name Slater. You think uh, Steve Slater seems a bit like, I don't know, bad guys meant to have double power. Like, do you know what I mean? Like in terms of the, oh, the double initial, like, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, um, not so well, you kind of feel like, again, looking back at it, the, the opening scene where he's, he seems a bit nicey, nicey, but you also feel like he's not really, he's a very particular person. Maybe is probably a good way of saying it. And then when we see him in the, the judge's chambers and stuff, like, he doesn't even let like Harry's soon-to-be ex-wife, Amy, uh, Maggie, sorry, Amy's her real name, um, sort of get a word in. I mean, I know he's being a lawyer in that moment, but also I was watching it with my other half, and we were when she was like, "Is this not a conflict of interest?" Because he's a lawyer, yes, I get that, but is he not? Would he be allowed to represent her? Um, I would assume yes. I mean, you, you in in America again, this country, I'm not 100 sure, but in America, you can represent yourself. So I can't yeah. see why you couldn't have a partner represent you potentially. 
Yeah, but again, even outside of the like the the actual rela- the actual relationship outside, I th- I feel like he's very controlling and he's very much like, you know, do do this and do this. We'll do this and we can do that and we do that. And then she can barely get a word in Edgeways, but at the same mm-hmm. time, she almost you can almost see it in her face like she's like. She's, I think, because there's a comment later on she does make, but even before that, you feel like she's with him because he's financially stable. <laughs> yeah, that, okay. Not yeah, necessarily I can see that. because they've met and they're in love, if that makes sense. It's more of yeah. a because of... But again, as the story goes on, we find that out, obviously. Um, just one thing, I did look up the table of death trick as well to see if it was a genuine magician sort of thing. Okay. Um, if it was or whether it was something that was a thing maybe in the 90s it turns out it actually first appeared at, um um i'm not even gonna andre cole but ko ali apparently his name was but it's so it's been it, the, the trick itself is obviously in the in the show is you're cuffed to it you have to pick the lock get out before the spikes come down and kill you <laughs> essentially um now apparently the, the trick has been very much changed over the decades but relatively it's saved the same but apparently it first appeared around sort of like 1930s but there's even reference to it actually um there's so that we, we know for definite it was around in the 30s but there's actually reference to it in 1877 wow so it's actually quite an um so i can't remember what the, like i did have it written down but i forgot death of Coria, i think was the name of it um and then described as a forerunner of the table of death. So it's been a trick that's been around for a long time, by, by all accounts. But 100%, they know it existed in the 30s, but there's reference to it even before then, like 1877. So it's, I just why I just wondered if it was... Um, uh, there's a few actual names here that people have actually tried to perform or have been known to perform the trick. And I don't think we're going to know all of these names, but obviously the most common one on here that I know of is David Copperfield. So, right, I, I'll tell you what. I Penny. thought to myself. I thought to myself, when you said it's a real trick and it's been known for a long time, my mind straight away thought, "I bet that dude's done it." <laughs> Which were, what David Copperfield? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Apparently, Penn and Teller. Um, it's actually exposed in their in their movie. Penn and Teller get killed. <laughs> apparently, <Okay. laughs> so I've not seen it, so I don't know. There's a there's a couple other names here that I but I'm not aware of them. Um, who who are they are necessarily? I remember the magician stuff. I remember that TV show. Was it Magician Secrets or whatever it was called? When it was exposing them, yeah. And he, the guy was like being he he was covered, wasn't he? Like a luchador mask for the, the entire series, and eventually yep. he did reveal himself. But I can't remember who it was. But I just wanted to see because tricks obviously have been around for well, as far as we know, medieval times. That you know, and you know, and all that kind of stuff, like jesters and that kind of stuff. So I just wondered where it came from. So, um, but can't find where it originated but apparently it has been around for a long time yeah fair enough um as everyone leaves the room uh the, the dressing room backstage sam and this does my head in i'm not gonna lie sam turns to al and says i know why i'm here al i've got to reunite this family maggie still loves him i can see it in her eyes and i'm cringing inside <laughs> honestly i'm sat there just like sam shut the fuck up man he is very he, he, Sam Beckett is a hopeless romantic and he doesn't even he does know it but because there was um, I think was it in the previous episode yeah it was in the previous episode he makes a comment about the uh, the girlfriend in that saying you can see it in her eyes that she loves you know whoever he's leapt into and then he starts to say I only had one woman looking like that and he starts almost like he's about to remember something and then Al goes Sam we need to and just cuts it off so it's got like a little nod to what he might have remembered somebody but then Al cuts him off by saying, we need to do this in mm. the last episode. And again, like you said, it is cringy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is quite cringy. Yeah. Um, He's a hopeless we... romantic and he jumping around in time. Oh, sometimes it gets a little bit too cheesy, a bit too cringy. And, and there are also other occasions where it gets a bit weird for me with how Sam is with the potential. I never picked up on it until rewatching it for the podcast now. But there are moments where with Sam, not not here, but there are moments with Sam, I think, oh, this is a bit, this is a bit stalkery, this is a bit weird, this is a bit obsessive. But you know, it, it, uh, it is that in season two, I think you mentioned that when he was the the mortician, I believe, or whatever. Oh, yeah, that was strange. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. really strange. But there we go. Um, 
we arrive the following day in court and they're there to hear the uh, divorce proceedings or so we think because completely out of the blue a total swerve ball is thrown by the lawyer and they want custody of Jamie and they are listing various unfit living conditions they they ask how many schools has Jamie attended in the last few years they start criticising her living conditions in the trailer where she hasn't got her own room and it's it's basically a, a hit piece, isn't it? They're, they're really just taking shots at Harry's lifestyle, whereas he is the one who has actually been there to raise the, the, this young girl, as opposed to Maggie, who fucked off. So it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit harsh, I feel, but at the same time, I, I, it's difficult for me because the, the, the points that the lawyer, Steve, is making are obviously being made in such a way to gain custody of the child for his client and his fiance Maggie. So he's going to make things he's going to paint everything he can in the worst possible light. Of course, that's that's yeah. his job. But also I can kind of see the guy's point with certain things he's saying. But he's just still a dirtbag. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean for cuz you know that this father's been around since like she's left. But also like Maggie's sitting there. I mean, I don't I I I mean I, I might be wrong. I mean I don't feel any real hatred towards her, to be honest. The lawyer, on the other hand, is a dick. But like, but then I feel like Maggie should like. I, it could have been dealt with there and then if they were in, rather than it, the way it's how, how the way it pans out. It'd be a very short episode if it was. But um, I feel like Maggie's very much uncomfortable with it, apart from certain things where she's like, "I want my daughter" and stuff like that. Um, again, there was better way. There are always better ways than dragging lawyers into it. I think, but you know, it depends on the situation, obviously. Um, but I feel like she's very much like uncomfortable by it. And again, this is where I said earlier about the lawyer kind of Steve, like leading that, like, I don't know. I don't say we, we, you have, we have to do it this way. You shouldn't be talking to him in all this kind of, you know, and I know it's a lawyer thing, but it also feels like it's not just a lawyer aspect of it. And it's where the conflict of interest comes in for me. It, it, you know, they're, fian- they're, you know, they're due to be married. They're, they're, they're engaged. So, He's. I feel like Steve's also jealous of Harry as well, aka Sam. So, mm, yeah, yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, the judge awards temporary custody to Maggie, um, whilst the proper hearing is being waited upon. Steve even then goes as far as to try and stop Harry having or Sam having any visitation rights, which I thought was just fucking terrible. That was unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Yeah, she she needs a good structure, needs a good home, and all that kind of stuff, and she's safe. Not that she's not safe with Harry at all, but I can see their point of view. But to then to also be like, oh yeah, he's a bad father. We we think we should think she should have sole custody. What a dick move, really. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, it's just so he can win. I think. So, yeah, I think you're spot on, mate. I think you're spot on. Um, we then get to. Uh, probably the I, I want I don't want to say most difficult scene to watch because it that makes it sound better than it was. Not that I'm criticising. I think this is a really well acted uh, and pretty dramatic scene here. But we then get to the scene where Sam, as Harry, is breaking the news to Jamie that Jamie has to go to her mum's for a while, and the young actress here i believe she was 15 at the time playing this this 12 year old girl i think she's absolutely fantastic here in this particular moment she's defiant she's angry and she's upset all at the same time she's frustrated because she can't change the situation around her and then at the very end of it she just says don't let them take me away and you genuinely feel heartbroken for the poor girl because everyone's out of her hands. She's happy where she is. And yeah. he's grown up to making decisions on her behalf, which obviously sometimes has to happen depending on you know, maturity and age and, and, and so on of children in this particular situation, of course. But this, this young lass doesn't want these things to happen to her. And it's, it's heartbreaking in a way, isn't it? The scene is, um, again, I'm not going to say it's like, amazing amazing well it is but it's um it's not like a she's i don't feel like it felt again we talked i talked about a part that happened in last time's episode with the when um uh you know uh what was the big fella got killed in that it was just a moment of just like i'm i'm in this moment with them Mm -hmm. again this was one of them and i again i think as i said at the top of the show here 
my perspective on life has changed very much from when I was probably, I don't even know what, like I said, I was, I didn't have kids at the time. Definitely. I know I didn't have kids when I watched this blast, but I didn't know how long, how old I was. But again, it was like, yeah, it's a good story. And I moved on, but it definitely tugged at my heartstrings when that little girl's like gone from like, and then she just, I mean, but the way Sam handled it, by the way, is brilliant. And the scene felt so, it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel, um, I don't know whether the right word is overactive, but you know what I mean? Sometimes when somebody's acting, you can you, you can tell they're acting. I mm. believe this little girl was, and Sam in that moment, that they were just, that scene was probably the best scene in, in the show, to be honest, in this particular episode. Yes, but, yes. Um, it was done so well, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. Articulate it. Um, Lauren Woodland is her name, the one who plays Jamie. Um, okay. She's known for a couple of things, but you might know her because you used to watch Cold Case, if I remember rightly. I did. She was in one episode of Cold Case, so in uh, and she played Becca Abrams. Apparently, I've not seen. No it idea. No. Idea. The, the the thing with Cold Case is, as I mentioned on the show before, in a way, it's very similar to Quantum Leap. In that, yeah. you've got a select couple. In Quantum Leap, you've got two characters, Sam and Al, and they're your constants. Everyone else changes. In Cold Case, it's pretty much the same. You've got this little team of four detectives, and then their boss. And they're investigating, as the as the title dictates, cold cases. So yeah. you have a gang of actors playing the, the the people who are involved in a particular murder or crime present day. A second gang of actors that are playing them in the flashbacks to the 70s or the 60s or yeah. whatever. But the only constants in each episode are the main select few detectives. So it yeah. could be very much a case of this this last has been in one episode and and never seen again. She could have been a real bit part, whatever really. Yeah. But also she would have been a lot older from what she looks like here in this episode we watched today. Well so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. So um yeah. But no, the scene was absolutely uh, spot on. Like I said, played at my and a whole new that scene actually made me have a whole new appreciation for the episode. Because like I said it was one okay. not that I remembered everything, but it's one, of, it's one of the ones, as I've already stated, that I would have necessarily gone, yeah, I'll just move on to the next episode or the next disc or whatever. So, um, yeah, this this is the scene that really um, kind of got me sort of invested more into the scene because I can just, you know, imagine, well, I don't know, imagine what that feels like for both of them. And Sam's obviously not her father, but also, but handles it beautifully. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, after this... Jamie basically says, well, we need to make sure we get the table of death stunt correct uh, and so on, um, because I'm not going to stay with them. So come and see these alterations I've made. They go down to where uh, the, the, the the trick is set up. I say trick. It's not a trick. There's nothing tricky about this. There's no magic aspect to it. Like sawing somebody in half, that's a trick. They've not been, they've not been sawed in half. This is literally a case of you're chained to a big metal bed and above you is a huge metal contraption full of fucking great spikes and you just have to escape before it kills you. There's no magic trick involved there. It's just a, an escapism sort of thing, but it is the way yeah. it is, I guess. Like, she's made some alterations and so on and the conversation carries on and Al has arrived and he explains it's called the table of death because two guys have, guys have died whilst trying it, which makes Sam chuckle to himself i suppose in, in in fear and apprehension um sam gets cuffed to this device and barely escapes and I mean, obviously this is the scene where we see the new handling for the first time as well but already you can kind of see where this episode's going to go now something is going to happen with this this trick this this table of death apparatus and you're going to have a time countdown with the danger at the end of it and probably involving the little girl is the way you would look at it if you're watching it for the first time, Benny, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, yeah, again, it's that precursor, isn't it? And setting these things up early on, which the episode does brilliantly with a lot of things, to be fair. And again, mm -hmm. the episode for me, we've had episodes before, haven't we, where we've gone, why have we not explored that more? Or why have we not done that? Or why have we, and it, all the episode hasn't flowed correctly or just been jarring when a certain scene ends in that the next one? You know, why have we gone from this to this? Like, you know, um, whereas this for me, it didn't, again, it's one of those episodes that didn't feel like 48 minutes. It felt it was over before I knew it type thing, you know? Mm. So um, 
yeah, if one of the, I mean, again, I, I kind of uh, moaned about the fact in the last episode that we didn't have any rhyme or reason why um, Al couldn't find information out or whether there were problems. In this episode, we have problems with him trying to get the information, and that's, you know, it would get, you were getting used to it. But I love the fact that Al gets frustrated and actually beats the crap out of the hand link and he goes, oh, I think I killed it. And then <laughs> yeah. because we've all been there with technology when it's not working properly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you Sai, can relate to them more than most in some cases. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> so, um, all right, we didn't get an explanation why it's not working. We just know it wasn't working. And Al actually got frustrated, which was after my gripe last episode was a nice sort of answer back to me almost like, well, here you go. He gets frustrated with it. Brilliant, you know, and it made sense. Yeah. So, um, to me at least, um, I paused the show in this next moment because I wanted to see exactly the point in the show when we find out why Sam was actually there. Because I twigged, I I, I twigged that at this moment here, talking about the table of death and so on, yeah. we still don't have the the real reason from Ziggy as to why Sam is there. We no, only we have, have, don't we? Sam's thing of like. Yeah, but she still loves him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I weren't paying much much attention to that bullshit. Um, <laughs> it, so I paused it, and funnily enough, literally the next scene we get told. So at this point, we're twenty four minutes, just shy of half the episode in, before we find out exactly why Sam is there. Harry uh, loses custody of Jamie. Jamie runs away in the original timeline, ends up homeless and stealing, and so on. And this is why Sam is there to make sure that does not happen. And I, I appreciate sometimes finding out a little later in the episode is fine, but here I think we probably should have known about that a little bit earlier. I think we could have got to that a tad earlier. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I mean, obviously after the court case, otherwise it would have been such a swerve ball. But you know. Yeah. Um, obviously, the initial meeting with them wasn't in, it wasn't in court, was it? It was in the judge's chambers. It was like mm-hmm. a little hearing. It was so Sam was completely blindsided. And the original, as you already said, the original history, she did run away. But also, Harry spent all the savings they had that they were saving up for this shop that they want to purchase and have. Um, spent all of that money trying to get Jamie back, but couldn't. Essentially, I assume they kept him going and going to the point where his money ran out. Of, I, I yeah. Think. Um, but ultimately, because Jamie wants to be with her dad um, and has been, and is still hurt by the fact that her mother left her three years ago. She's old enough to... She's supposed to be, what, 12 years old? So um, she's she's very aware that it's not like a baby and her mum's gone and then they come back and they maybe like could reforge a relationship when they're maybe like three years old, four years old. This girl has got her own mind now, hasn't she? You know, she's 12. She knows her mum left and it's just been her and her dad. So she's still yeah, hurt by her mother, basically, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, without that, she, she is. Yeah, so you definitely. see why she would want to run away and try and find her dad or whatever. So Because she can't go back to her dad, because if she goes back to her dad, then they'll put the Harry in jail. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Um, and I love that Al actually, sorry, I love that Al actually mentions in this that the, the, the courts always side with the mother, regardless. Um, and then we had this conversation last episode, just before this. So it's, um Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, we then get, I suppose, more world building, I suppose. Um, we see Sam dropping Jamie off at Maggie's place. And uh, Jamie's saying things like, um, which drawer is mine? Maggie's responding, well, all of them. This room is all for you. The wardrobe. And he's like, she's like, oh, no, no, no. I only need one drawer. I'm not staying long. And I thought, this kid's great. And uh, <laughs> um she then walks into a room with a fake knife and blood on her, saying how rough this neighborhood is. Oh, that is, I laugh so much at that. <laughs> this is a tough neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, we see a little moment where, and again, I appreciate what they're trying to go for with this. We see Jamie, the, the daughter, notice a doll called Sarah, who she had as a, as a young girl. And she's like, I thought I lost you. This is my favorite and so on. And the mum says, well, no, I, you didn't lose her. I took her with me so I could always have something to remember you by. I'm sorry. Everyone who's had a child, you know that these kids, 
you know, fixate upon one or two items. They've got a favorite teddy, a favorite blankie, a favorite doll or something. And that stays with them constantly. My youngest daughter has a teddy from the TV show, Charlie Bear. She is now 14, but it's still by her side as soon as she gets home. And it has been ever since she was a little tiny baby. My other children are exactly the same. I've still got Casey Jones, the teddy bear, and I'm 43 next week. And he is still sat on top of my wardrobe. And I had him from when I was six months old. Who the fuck, as a parent, takes away the kid's favourite item just so they feel closer to them? The yeah. kid would... Yeah, I didn't like that one bit. I can see a logic, but at the same time, you would... Well, my daughter's got a favourite, uh, like, uh, a teddy as well. And I, yeah. the oldest, who's... She won't admit it, she's 13, but she's still got her particular teddy that she had when she was a kid. All right, she doesn't necessarily hug up to it at night or anything, but it's on her bed still. It's sense yeah, of yeah. value, isn't it? So, uh, yeah... Um, do you know what? I didn't really pick up? I thought it was a bit of a dick move for her to take it, but I didn't really go dive into it as much as you have, obviously. <laughs> but... I just thought because so, my mind straight away went to my daughter Charlie and her favorite TV show growing up was the Charlie Bear cartoon, and she had a little Charlie Bear bought for her, and she she, she adores it. It's you know it is what it is. And I thought if we lost, I mean, we also had an occasion with my eldest daughter where she had a teddy called Betsy, and she had Betsy. She still got Betsy now, and she's nineteen. She had a she had a, a, a daughter called Betsy. Uh, well, I say nineteen. She's actually twenty next month. That's a scary thought. But she she's got this um, this teddy Betsy from when she was six months old. She left it on the bus once, and it was like the end of the world. It was it was like Armageddon was coming. So I can't understand a parent who would take the favorite doll away. Yeah. I appreciate what they're trying to do with the writing there, but I think as as a part of the plot, it's either a flawed part of the plot or it just makes Maggie look a dick for me. I mean, I do. I will, as the episode goes on, also as much as I, you know, didn't say I, I don't hate Maggie at all, but I'm also like, she wanted to get a career. All right, I get that, but we don't really get into the nitty gritty. Did Harry stop her from taking the child? That's never mentioned. I don't think that is what happened. By the sounds of it, she just up and left. But would you not want to take your child with you? I don't really understand. So, um, because she's already, you know, the way they're even talking about Harry now, like he doesn't have a consistent job and all this malarkey. So, and obviously, at some point, she does cite the fact that he's he mentioned this magic shop for eight years consistently, and she had enough of it. So, if he's not providing, then why does she leave her child with him? Mm. It's actually really selfish, to be fair. Yeah, hundred percent. They're like, oh yeah, we couldn't find him for two years. All right, but you were gone for three years, so a year later, you decide to look for him. He's not exactly hiding. I think he's just around the country working as a magician. He's not running away from you. He's not hiding from you. So, yeah, all right, it's harder back then because it's 70s. There's no mobile phones aren't really a thing yet. and There's no social media or all this stuff. So it would be harder to find someone. But the way they portray Harry is this, if, this, if he is, like, done a runner on purpose when he hasn't, he's just trying to make money and provide for his daughter and himself. So I, you know. Also, I, yes, you're right. It is the 70s. It's 1974. There's no internet. There's no, all this sort of stuff. But this guy, it's not like he's disappeared and wants to never be found. Yeah, it's not like he's yeah. ran away. He has the stage name of the Great Spontini, and works clubs. If you really wanted to find the guy, you could find him. You could have found him. Yeah, I, I, I didn't buy that at all. Again, I think that's more of a tactic from the the lawyer in this sense. But I'm just like, so yeah, she's been gone three years. He then says it took us two years to find him trying to make out that he's like a flight risk, which he's not. Mm. Uh, so, but she obviously a year later, she decided she wanted to come back, but couldn't find him because he works clubs. Again, you put it, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. He works under the name, great Spontini. He's not changing his name. He's not purposely hiding. He's no. <laughs> taking his, so I, yeah, the lawyer is just more, the more you look at this, the lawyer is more and more of a dick. <laughs> yeah. I think Maggie's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, mate. I'm going to call it now. I think Maggie's a bit of a dick as well. She's left her kid. What the f- yeah, what, what no, I, I don't, you know, but I don't, in this process, apart from a few little times, it's more being led by the lawyer, isn't it, than Maggie. I'm not disputing yeah, Maggie's behaviour pr- prior to that, but like, <laughs> there are a few moments, and she doesn't want to go back to the old life of the, the promises that never happen. I get that, mm. but the way she's left is not right. Yeah, 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 well put, well put. Um Jamie goes off then to play in the in in the back garden. 
which leaves Sam and Maggie, and Sam has decided he's gonna he's gonna try his hand here. He's he's gonna he's gonna see what he can muster up for Maggie and old Harry, and see if there's any romance left in the pair. Um, Maggie has made brownies, uh, but then she burns her hand on the pan. Sam helps her run it under the water to cool the burn, and they end up kissing and so on, and it's a romantic moment and 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 all that jazz. Um, before Sam says it's okay, suit. There's the TV show coming up, and we're going to get the money for the magic shop. And then Maggie blows up at him, saying, well, "I've heard about the magic shop for eight flaming years. What, what the hell's going on?" So you can understand her frustration from that aspect. But again, you left your kid, bitch. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like you know, you've got no right at all to criticize somebody else who's been raising the kid for three years. Screw yeah, you. Yeah, and he's done his best as he can. It's not like he, he doesn't pretend to be perfect, but you know, he's done the best he can. She's safe, she's warm, she's fed. There you it, go. So, what more do you want, really? Exactly. Um, whilst this is going on, Slimy Steve arrives. And Steve, Steve. That's why he's called Steve. There like, you go. Slimy <laughs> <laughs> Steve Slater. He tries to say that it's uh, not going to help his case talking to Maggie without. Maggie's legal representation there, and he also mentions that he always wins and all this sort. And he's just a fucking bell end. Um, at one point, he tries to grip Sam up, and Sam ends up taking him down to the floor, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, Sam then leaves. Steve is also told to leave, but before he departs, by Maggie, I mean, he, both of them are told to get out by Maggie. But before he, that, by the way, because yeah, me, she's like they're both. I mean, Harry not so much, but the lawyer especially. Is being that you can. This is where the controlling aspect of him is. You can see it plain as fucking day in this, like you know, family sort of home type thing. What's he doing here? He's always a lawyer, isn't he? I think is basically yeah. was on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, Steve then turns to Jamie and says, "I'm going to make sure you don't see Harry again." And I'm thinking, "You evil piece of shit." Yeah, that that puts a nail in the coffin for me. You, again, I think some of it's jealousy because of you know it's his. They're still married, and it's Harry's ex, and all blah blah blah, whatever. But yeah, he um very much is jealous. And then, but to say that to to Jamie, like essentially, you'll never um oh, what does he say? Smile and enjoy it, Jamie, because when I finish with him in court, it'll be the cold day in hell before you ever, but before you and your mother ever lays eye lay eyes on him again. He says easily, apparently. Um, and that for me is like, yep, you're a dick. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you were- I mean that, that uh, nowadays. Um, that would come under uh, emotional abuse, and um, yes. that, that'd be the term referenced in, in the court. Yeah, when it when well. it comes yeah when it comes down to um, uh, child custody and and so on, uh, things like that would come under emotional abuse. Um, I've I've been there. I've got the paperwork. It's, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> not on my part, by the way, by an ex who was a, a little bit shall we say difficult to deal with let's move on um because uh, we don't want to go to court over a, a quantum leap podcast show come on oh, oh well, mate, mate i've got all the paperwork i went to court i fucking won i don't give a shit they don't always favor the mother then so at least that's good because at least the times have changed because you know i mean i don't know the answer i don't want to know but like it's just um you feel like it's still i don't think it happens as much does it but i think generally they tend to go they favor the mother don't they oh 100 it was a it so, was a Again, I won't go into details, but it was a massive uphill battle. It took years of fighting. It took thousands and tens of thousands of pounds. And um, it's uh, effectively my ex-partner was trying to stop me having anything to do with my daughter. Um, I wasn't going to have that because my kids are my world. I fought and I won. So that was kind of it. I've still got all the paperwork here. Um, my daughter is now an adult, so I feel I'm able to talk about it more freely. She, my daughter, is aware now more of the scenario that went on. All the court reports, court paperwork, and court quotes are available for for her or anyone to read, and it cites emotional abuse on towards my daughter on uh, my ex's part in trying to manipulate my daughter into saying certain things in court that weren't true and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, but thankfully. Well, it didn't go any further, and everything was sorted, and they ruled in my favour. And you know, one hundred percent, it was it was a landslide situation where I was one hundred percent firmly backed. So there are good guys in the court system. Thankfully, my my solicitor was not one of them. 
uh, he told me 12 months before the court hearing to give up. So he was a cunt as well. But let's move on. Um, <laughs> we had, I had a conversation with my now partner and they went through the same. Also, uh, long story short, ultimately, he, he did get he, they got joint custody and all that kind of stuff. But then he just gave up once he got joint yeah. custody. He went through all that and then just went, nah, I don't want to. Like, what the fuck are you doing, you prick? Um, so, but yeah, um, they've had, yeah, she's known people and I've known people that have had lawyers that go, oh, you might as well just give up because they will save with the mother. And it's like, you fucking, you, what the fuck are you for? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, what are you for? Anyway. That's exactly what I was told. Yeah, exactly what I was told. And I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad you didn't give up, mate. Well done. But there we go. Anyway. Um, we're back at the court tonight. And Jamie has been left with a babysitter. Uh, we've got a scenario where everyone is getting spoken to by the by the judge about um, different scenarios and so on, and then eventually we get to a situation where Sam is getting um, questioned by the judge and by uh, Stephen, the um, solicitor for Maggie as well. Al arrives and says he's going to go and check in with Jamie, but we find out in the meantime Jamie's done a runner, and she's Al, when he goes to check in on her, doesn't arrive at the home of Maggie where she should be. He arrives basically next to the table of death and she is um, strapped in to the table of death and she's having a go at it to try and make sure the trick is ready to use. Again, thinking of winning the money on this TV show for the magic shop and so on. Um, Situation happens as well where the pick that she is using to escape the shackles she drops that, so she's stuck there, which is bad enough. But then she knocks her bag off the side, which hits the button to activate the trick, and it starts raising the spikes to the point where it will eventually fall and and kill her. All a little bit dramatic now. Um, Ziggy says that she is going to die, so Al has to zap back and tell Sam, who leaves the court saying, basically explaining to everybody, I know when she's in trouble, I can't explain why, I just do, I've got to get to her. Which I thought was a nice touch because it, it it can be obviously we know the situation. Al has explained it to Sam, and that's how he knows. But to other people, Sam can't say that. So he says this, and it almost in a way elevates the viewpoint of people of Harry as the father figure in a way. I yeah. think, like he's just trying to run away from the court proceedings rather than actually deal with them. Essentially, you could look at it that mm. way. And uh, the lawyer jumps on this straight away and is like, oh, yeah, well, clearly he's unfit to be a father and all this. And Maggie's like, oh, no, I, I think because I'm glad that she did that as well. Because She's like, oh, no, if he says she's in trouble. I, I believe him. And then, you know, yeah. get that uh, convertible and uh, raced across town. And I was like, um, I, I, there's a bit, isn't there, when they, the road gets blocked and, and Sam has to drive on the sidewalk or the curb is what we call it. Um and then Al shouts, I'll watch out for the kid on the bike. And then luckily stops and the kid on the bike comes out of like a side alley um, where it could have, that could have been terrible, <laughs> to be honest. That um, would have been a whole different leap. You'd have, yes, to go, you'd have to go back and put that right as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, race into the club. And also, uh, it was so, I've, I thought this was done quite well. I thought it was quite tense mm-hmm. as well. So you go to the front of the club and they can open the doors and it's like quickly around the side. And then and there's that constant peril of the of you know how how many seconds it's going to take before the the spikes crush this poor little girl and it, it's just the suspense has been nothing builds suspense like a countdown does it no and then also we've also seen this table in action earlier on in the episode where al hovers himself into position to lie on the table which is quite <laughs> funny um so we're as the viewer you're very much aware of how this works i mean you could probably figure it out even if you hadn't been shown that but it just put extra emphasis on it and also, we didn't really touch on it, but when he's, Sam's trying to lockpick the, the the wrist to practice, and he can't do it, whereas Harry would have been able to do it in his sleep, allegedly. And the yeah. daughter does think that he's purposely messing up because um, he no longer wants her around, which is not obviously not true. Um, but yeah, they they arrive down in the basement of this uh, club where they're practicing this blimmin' thing, and Sam's got to pick up the lockpick and try and. Um, do something. I like the fact also that Maggie isn't just stood there going, oh my God, oh my God. She actually tries to put a chair above it to try and stop it from raising. She's mm-hmm. actually, you know, because sometimes we see things, not just because it's Maggie or anything, but we see in other TV shows where the person, there's one person stood there doing absolutely feck all. Um, 
I've seen many films where moments are just like, why are you sat there? There's clearly this going on. Why are you not helping? I, I, I can help a little bit with that. There are, um, according to interviews with um, not so much television, but movie producers and, um, and, and actors and so on, interviews that I've seen, uh, and directors as well and so on, they talk about leading reaction. And sometimes they will place a character in a scene who will react in a certain way, whether it's to go, oh my God, or anything like that, to almost overemphasize the reaction that the audience, they want the audience to have at this yeah, moment. Yeah. I mean, I so, get to a degree, but like sometimes it's fucking obvious. You don't, we don't need to be. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, oh, the kid's going to die. Yeah, we know. <laughs> We've been watching it. We haven't, you know, we've sat for a year. We are fully hour. aware. <laughs> Watch this episode for about, what, 42, 3, 43 minutes, whatever it is, is at this point in yeah. the episode. I mean, again, I like the fact that she tries to, he's trying to unlock the thing, the cuff, and Maggie's actually like trying to stop this thing from uh, moving. Because we were told earlier in the episode that once it starts, there's no stopping it until it's completed its uh, action, basically. So, yeah, you know, yeah. regardless, this thing is going to be falling on this. Uh, what 12 13 year old girl mm-hmm. and it will kill her because they're not even fake spikes they're real spikes yeah so um, a little bit of them. a <laughs> i suppose a little bit of a side note i guess when they're doing the whole racing from the courthouse down to where the trick is and uh, at the club and so on that is a beautiful vehicle they're driving isn't it that convertible you know 90 uh, it's set in 74 but that vehicle i think is older i think it's but it's a beautiful car isn't it I have no idea what model Cadillac is. It. I have no idea what. I, got, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it it's is nice. a nice car. Yeah. It's got, <laughs> it gives me vibes of Greece a little bit because it's got the, t- the yeah. fins on the side of it and stuff like that. Even though the Greece Lightning car doesn't have the fins, but it, like it reminds me of that era, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah. yeah, yeah, nice car though. Good job we didn't Definitely. crash it. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you can expect, they arrive and rescue Jamie just in the nick of time before the spikes come crashing down. Uh, and then we head straight back to court again. And Steve now wants more charges placed. He wants felony charges for placing the child in danger. Um, he's just a fucking melt, this bloke. And Maggie, all of a sudden, backs Harry. Says, no, um, if anyone should be facing additional charges, it should be me. Jamie was in my care at the time. Yeah, which is what they wanted. Right. And Steve was there. Steve's basically there going, shut the fuck up, woman. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't say it like that, but yeah, he is basically like, you need to shut up. <laughs> We're winning this thing, basically. Yeah, it's also hiding behind some of his notes and going, shh, shh, what are you doing? You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> um, she fires him, though. She basically tells him, I'm not interested in this no more. I want to drop all my charges, all the charges. I want to drop all the accusations. I want to drop everything about trying to take custody. I think we can work this out between us. Steve, you're fired. And then gives him back the engagement ring and says, I don't really want to be with you either because you've got crap hair, a shit suit, and you're a slimy <laughs> bastard. I mean, I mean, he, she doesn't get sack him off that. I mean, she does, but like, we're done with this shit. Then he's like, oh, I'll start divorce proceedings tomorrow. And he goes, nah. Is the ring, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it was good. It was uh, good. I, I would say I would have felt sorry for him, but I didn't because, to be honest, what a dick, basically. <laughs> mm. Oh, 100%. Um, this is followed by uh, Sam, Maggie, and Jamie all having an exchange in the courtroom when all, when all the proceedings have been stopped and thrown out, etc. And... Maggie is basically pleading for an opportunity to build a relationship with Jamie properly. And she won't run away this time, it is stated. And Jamie, for the first time in the episode, refers to Maggie as mum. And it seems like, okay, they can build upon these these early moments, these touching, these t- this is a touching start, they can work upon this. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, this is quite good. Al arrives. And I like when Al gives a little update and starts saying, okay, so... Um, actually, Maggie finds a little location for a magic shop round the corner from where she lives. So that's where they set up the business. And Maggie and uh, Harry don't get back together 
but they are they are on good terms and jamie sees the pair of them and it's a good relationship between all three and they're eventually settled with their shop and so on and then sam's basically ruins all that for me by going huh we'll see about that pal and just strides over to maggie gives her a snog and whilst he's doing that al's looking at the new flashy handling and going oh this says you're changing history. They're now, they get back together in a year. They're still together now. They live happily ever after. And then he leaps. I thought it was a nice moment compared to the ending we had from the last episode, to be honest. <laughs> you know, uh, it was a very, okay, yeah. it was a very, as I've already said last time, uh, the shift change between what happens in um, Black on White on Fire and then Great Spontini is very much like what the hell. So, Again, I moaned about not knowing extra and what happened after. Um, we kind of got a new hand link uh, after Al gets annoyed with it, and we got an actual, like, this happens after the fact. So, yeah. Okay. There we go. I, I, you know, it is a little, don't get me wrong, it is a little bit cheesy, you know, in the way it was said and all that. We'll see about that. Um, and then, um, but it is what it is. I thought it was a nice, uh, considering the ending we had last time, <laughs> it's quite a nice, it was a nice ending, to be fair. Not, I'm yeah, not saying it's cheesy, though. And the whole, like, oh, I think she still loves him is cheesy. I don't deny that. So, <laughs> but I just I, didn't, I just didn't need it. I'm not going to lie. But I, I did after last week. So after that, more over it. Oh, fair enough, mate. Fair, you were traumatized by last week, weren't you? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was deeply hurt from last time's episode, to be fair. So I needed the, And I tell you what, if this aired the way that it did, um, do you know what? You'd be, I think we, we need to be lifted up after what we saw in the last time. Two people dead in the last episode, plus the 30 odd people that actually died in the riots as well. A bit mm. of a bloodbath last week, to be fair, last time. It so, was. It was, yeah. At least in this one, I suppose, yeah, you're right. Everyone lives happily ever after, and they've got a nice car, so. Yeah, but it also plays into stuff that still happens today where you've got a fight which you've had personally had to do. So um, it's nice that um, it kind of shines a light. Even though it's set in the 70s and the show was in the 90s, it still, to a degree, relates to things where, you know, people do things out of spite sometimes, which I wouldn't say Maggie necessarily did it, but it was the lawyer in this, in this case who, but Maggie let it happen way too long. And it could have been easily, like I said, it would have been shorter episode earlier if it Mm. had been sorted out in the chambers. But you know what I mean? At least it shines a light on, you know, there are people out there, male and female that will take care of their kids regardless, but they somehow still get punished for it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. mate. Fair enough. Um, Sam leaps and we see him on the back of a 1950s style motorcycle uh, with numerous other people on the back of similar vehicles um, plowing down a a dirt track. Sam obviously loses control and crashes. We get the oh boy and so on. But more about that in a moment before we talk about what we can remember about what's coming up next time. We need to rate what happened this time. So out of five, Benny, and your final thoughts, my friend. I, I It's an episode with cheese in it. Of course it is. I mean, it's daytime TV. Well, kind of, well, it's not really daytime TV anymore. I think at this point it was 9 p.m. type starts or 8 p.m. starts, whatever it was. I think we looked into that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we last were on. Um, but does it have cheesy moments? Of course it does. Um, I think it shines a light on a good subject to be sort of make sure we keep ourselves in check a little bit. But also... Um, Al losing his temper with the uh, the hand link to the point where he kills it and the fact that he says that I, I, I love that bit the scene with we've already talked about it but the scene with Sam and Jamie in the caravan where he has to tell her he's got to go and live she's got to go and live with her mother her mother and stuff it, it's heartbreaking to watch but again it was one of the it's probably the best scene in the entire you know we got the tense scene at the end with the, the, the machine and everything but I mean in terms of the emotional sort of side of things Probably the best scene in the entire episode for me. Personally. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked it. To be fair, I really enjoyed it. And now again, at the start of this episode, I've already said this several times, but it is one I would have normally skipped. If I go, if I watch this back in a few years' time, I'll remember this one a bit more fondly than I did from when I was younger. So um, my score, I think, I think it's pretty fair. I think, I think you know, don't I don't think it, at any point did it feel that scene's out of place or that actor didn't really act it very well or anything like that. I thought they all did a great job. And again, 
again, like I've already said, being a bit older, maybe. But I think a four out of five is fair, to be honest. Um, okay. Um, if you'd have asked me before I watched it and you wanted me to give me like a blind score before we seen, now whether we do that going forward, I don't know. But I probably would have said a three out of five, to be honest with you. Um, maybe even a bit less based on memory, but watching it today, a four out of five for me. Why? Okay. Um, I'm a bit lower. Uh, I've, I've got literally slap bang in the middle of the road. I've got two and a half out of five. I think this is, I'm not saying there's anything massively wrong with this, but at the same time, I'm not saying anything was particularly amazing either. For me, it's literally that it's, it's slap bang in the middle of the road. It's, it's a good episode of quantum leap without being, it, it's not shite. It's not fantastic. So for me, it, it sits slap bang in the middle. Uh, two and a half out of five but i'm also of the same mindset as you benny in that if i was going into this and had to give a numerical rating before watching it back just on memory alone i would have been lower again because i didn't have fond memories about this whatsoever so i'd have been you know 0.51 that sort of territory for for before so so it's gone up in my estimations it has it has genuinely gone up and i would be less averse to going back and watching this again now having seen it back for the podcast but it's still not one of my favorites if that makes sense no i get that i mean again i think it's just the the memory i had prior to it i again i've said it so many times take a shot if you are listening along as long as you're not driving or anything you'll be fine um it is like because we are watching it we both love the show we've said this so many times so we both love the show but we are watching it back without and it's not like we watched we we watched it all and then we watched it again for the podcast. Neither one of us had started watching it until we started this process. So in yes. a, bit, a couple of years each, I would say, if not more. So yes, yes. Yeah. Um, some episodes we've gone. I mean, I think that this is only probably the second or third episode off the top, off, off memory, where I think we we're generally in the same ballpark for scores. To be fair, yeah, I don't so, think we're ever too far away, are we? No, I think this is one of the ones where we are for different reasons. But again. I mean, I was going to say 3.5, but I, I just liked the whole thing. I'm glad the owl innuendo kind of, I'm not glad that it started, but I'm glad it happened where it happened in the episode and it didn't really carry on considering what was going on. Otherwise, Yeah, would- when he when Al, t- I'll tell you what, there was a worrying moment right at the beginning of the episode. There was a worrying moment when Al says, oh, he's just, uh, but basically Jamie walks off to go and get changed, and she is a 12-year-old girl. Then Al appears and says, I've just been watching next door. It's much better. And I'm thinking, oh, no, where are we going here? Yeah, it could have been, you could take that the wrong way out of context. He's not on about yeah. Jamie, obviously. He's on the Thankfully, boat. he's not. No. And, it's, and it's made very, very quick, very clearly, very clear, quickly. Sorry, I can't get my words out now. It's made very <laughs> clear, very quickly that he was referring to dancers in the other room and so on. But I go back to, um, I can't remember what episode it was. Was it the one where uh, Sam was an acrobat in, in the circus? And... Al's, it might have been, it might be that one, it might be something different, but Al's gawping at a character that is supposed to be 16, and it's like, oh dear me. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm glad that we didn't get any of that kind of thing happening, you know? Yeah, and the, the, the woman that he was like spying on, essentially, because that's what he was, the peeping Tom in it. Yeah. Lane uh, walks in, who uh, is like an old flame or a somebody that's consistently a flame for Harry over the last couple of years, and she, but then even she's like referring to, um, He's still hung up on his ex and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Luckily, it's not. She's not around for long. But I'm glad that. Yeah, you could have go. Oh, crikey! What the hell's? Oh, okay. Thank God for that, because that could have been. Obviously, that's a different show in itself. <laughs> that's, yeah, oh yeah. Good, isn't it? <laughs> so, but yeah. So, next week, Rebel without a clue. We have seen Sam <laughs> arrive on a motorbike and then probably crash it. Um, I know you have said to me in the past, this is one you're looking forward to rewatching. My memories of this are quite patchy. I can remember almost like stills or images of Sam being in a diner with all his motorbike gear on. I can remember it. Obviously, it's the 50s and that whole scene that they had back then. I think he's there to stop someone getting killed. And my mind reminds me of a waitress. So piecing these little bits together 
is there a waitress in the diner that Sam's got to stop getting killed? But I'm not sure. But I remember it being good, but I can't tell you why it's good. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you're kind of right, but you're a little bit off. So, but I'm not okay. going to tell. Uh, only because as the story develops, um, but I, I'm not going to. I'm not. I was going to tell you them, but I'm not going to. I'll leave it as is, so you can watch it without me sort of like tainting the view of it. I always okay. liked it. I always thought it was good. Um, yeah, I've got fond memories of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, uh, Teddy Wilson is in this episode as well, who's actually been in a previous episode of Quantum Leap. So he's not re- he's not a recurring character. He's just an actor playing a different person. Uh, but if you remember, well, I mean, you will remember it, Paul Hall Blues, which is one of your favourites. Yep, love that. Um, he's the, uh, the the loyal friend that follows Sam around. He's actually in this episode as a different character completely. Um, oh, um, the the older guy who yeah, like, yeah. looks like, after the queue. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. brilliant. So Teddy Wilson. Oh, that's great. Uh, um, is in it? He plays Ernie in this one, and I again. Oh, is he the guy who owns the diner? Yes, and we'll leave it there because I don't want to go too far into it. We could okay. do a double. We could do a double feature one day where we do two episodes in one podcast, maybe. But like, <laughs> okay. But there we go. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. That's what we are looking at awesome. next time here yeah. on the waiting room. I was just going to say quickly. We the last episode we gave it a high score, but had a few more moanings about it. This time round, you said you really liked the episode, but you scored it quite low. <laughs> I'm just a walking contradiction, mate. You are, mate. You really are. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me. Okay, Benny. Where can people find your good self and all the stuff you are involved in, please? As per usual, follow if you've listened to this show long enough at Benny Mac B Triple Y M A C K on X. Um, and obviously I do, uh, uh, in the corner with myself, um, which is a wrestling podcast, only wrestling fans out there. And it's all on SJP raw media. You can follow the show at in the corner WWE on X. And then obviously follow SJP raw media at SJP raw media on X as well. So, um, and then obviously waiting room, I should say, <laughs> there we go. I don't get invited to the other podcast very often. I think I'm a loose cannon or something. So <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Too unpredictable, mate. People can't handle the pressure. Um, <laughs> can't handle me talking, mate. As you well know, we we spoke for an hour before, where before we've even recorded before, and you're like, I've got, "Mate, we've got to do it quick today." Yeah, yeah no worries. Anyway, this happened. This happened. This happened. <laughs> Two hours later, it's like, "Well, you can record me just talking, mate." I mean, it could be like a side episode for something. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find and follow via the network that carries this show. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And there is an Instagram. I do check it. I just don't use it very often. So Facebook and Twitter is the best place. Or X, as it's now called, I guess. And that includes wrestling content, Doctor Who podcast. Um, there's football content on there, music content on there. All sorts of great stuff. So make sure you're checking that out. And you can also find it on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. And live shows on Twitch, YouTube, and in the Facebook group at SJP World Media. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show itself on X and Facebook at Waiting Room Pod underscore. That's at Waiting Room Pod underscore. So then, next week, uh, Rebel Without a Clue. Looking forward to it, my friend. I will speak to you then. I am going to leap out now and jump on a motorbike, I think. <laughs>